Good morning. I do pray that you are having a, a great weekend. We're in this series on Ephesians and Amazing Grace, and if you haven't picked up this little booklet, I would encourage you to do so. In Ephesians part one, it's a great way to accompany the series individually or in your small group. So uh, you can find that in the resource center. Last week we were in Ephesians 1, 1 to 10. Today we're in Ephesians 1, 11 to 14. The title of this message is The Best Inheritance Ever. My parents are 88 and 87. My parents-in-law are 90 and 87. I love them. But as they age, every now and then I think about inheritance. (laughs) What will I inherit? Inheritance, of course, is a practice around the globe, but has been for many, many centuries. Practice of passing on property and money and rights and privileges. What would God have me inherit? What do my parents want me to inherit? What will I inherit? These can be very different things. What's my most treasured possession in life? What we hope to inherit reflects what we value, right? The purpose for which we live. Jesus said, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So what does God treasure? And what is the treasured inheritance he has for us? What would he have us treasure? I believe today's text will really help us understand these things. Let's pray. Father, we thank you again just for the privilege of gathering as your people, as your sons and daughters. You've chosen us from before the foundation of the world to live for your glory. And so we thank you. We thank you that you have your strong hand on us, that you are leading us. And this morning we just ask again that you teach us by your Holy Spirit. Jesus, be our teacher. We recognize that we need your help to understand your truth and to know how to apply it to our lives. And so, God, have your way among us. I pray that nothing I say would stray from your word, that only your word that spurs your people on, your word that is living and active, would remain with your people. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Last week, we left the Apostle Paul bound in chains in a Roman jail cell, and he was writing to a church in Ephesus that was facing many, many challenges. After a short greeting, he just explodes into praise. Chapter 1, verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and blameless in him, before him. In love, he predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, with which he has blessed us in the beloved. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. So in the first 10 verses, Paul says that God is to be praised for blessing us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Among these blessings, he chose us for holiness in his presence, predestined us for adoption as sons and daughters in his family, redeemed us, forgave us all our trespasses, revealed to us the mystery of his will, that is to unite 
all things in Christ. And in verse 11, he'll continue this more than 200-word sentence of praise, this eulogy. I told you last week about my daughter who, when she was young, she would come home and she'd be so excited and just rattle, 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 and we'd say, Alana, breathe, just breathe. Last weekend, I Skyped her, and she was telling me about a recent experience she had had. She'd climbed a mountain with her boyfriend, and on the way up the mountain, she got really excited about something, and again, she just started to rattle, and by the time that she got to the top of the mountain, she was just gasping for breath. And her boyfriend looked at her and said, you know, I'm not going anywhere. You can breathe, Alana. Well, we left the Apostle Paul in jail last week. He was going on without breathing. We asked him to take a breath, and now we can ask him to continue. We have not gone anywhere. We're here, and he certainly wasn't going anywhere. He was chained in a Roman jail cell, but he had summited the mountain of the Lord, and he was giving glory to God for what he was seeing as his inheritance in Jesus. Verse 11, in him we have obtained an inheritance having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, so that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who's the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it, to the praise of his glory. See, there's movement in these verses from The first we, in verse 11, a restricted we, that is Paul and his fellow believers. To you also, in verse 13, he's talking directly to his Gentile readers. And then in verse 14, he talks about our inheritance, and he includes everyone. So these verses prepare us for what he'll say in chapter 2 about Jews and Gentiles, people from all over the world becoming one in Christ. In verse 11, He writes, we have obtained an inheritance. It's actually better translated, we were chosen as God's portion. The phrase doesn't refer to what we have received, but rather communicates that we were claimed by God as his heritage. This reading has really strong support from the Old Testament, from a passage like the Song of Moses in Deuteronomy chapter 32, beginning in verse 9, which is just a beautiful picture of how God cares for his people. But the Lord's portion is his people, Jacob his allotted heritage. He found him in a desert land, and in the howling waste of the wilderness, he encircled him, he cared for him, kept him as the apple of his eye. Like an eagle that stirs up its nest, that flutters over its young, spreading out its wings, catching them, bearing them on its pinions, the Lord alone guided him. No foreign God was with him. Meditate on that passage. Now God cares for us as his possession. As we said, the we in verse 11 refers to Jewish believers. When he writes, we have obtained, that's synonymous with election in verses 4 and 5. The Jews who accepted Jesus, they were the remnant in whom the Old Testament promises had been fulfilled. They'd been claimed by God as his portion. How did God make these chosen ones his possession? Well, in him, in Christ. Christ is the one in whom Jewish believers have been blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. And here Paul picks up his earlier language of predestination and divine will. In verse 5 he writes, He predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ according to the purpose of his will. Then in verse 11, Having been predestined according to the purpose of him. 
So in verse 11, we have exactly the same verb as we have in verse 5, predestined, been marked off by a boundary beforehand. Purpose, you have the word purpose there in verse 11. It's also in verse 9, same word group. And then it says, God works all things according to the counsel of his will. That means that God is working energetically, effectively, according to the counsel. Counsel is with reference to an action plan. Will talks about a decisive resolve. So from all eternity, God has a comprehensive plan for all things. To sum up all things in Christ, he's orchestrating things, he's managing things, he's stewarding things, he's governing things. God is effectively, sovereignly, graciously, lovingly working all things in accordance with the counsel of his divine resolve to accomplish what he has purposed. And then he writes in verse 12, so that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. Who were the first to hope? Well, again, the we here in verse 12 is a reference to Paul and his, Jewish belie- his fellow Jewish believers. Within the wider sovereign will of God, for all things, the Jewish believers were the first to hope in Christ. The first disciples, his chosen ones, his predestined ones, and they were claimed as his portion. God's people, here's the first point. God's people are God's treasure, his inheritance, his heritage. People are God's treasure. This predestination is God's treasured possession, provided God's people with tremendous hope, comfort, assurance. Evil would not triumph. God's purposes for his chosen Jewish people, they would be fulfilled. The foreknowledge of God, the sovereignty of God over all things, the pleasure of God in choosing the Jewish people. This stood in stark contrast to the fickle and arbitrary gods of the Greek and Roman worlds. And this should be for our encouragement as well. For the Lord's heritage, it's not limited to the Jewish believers. Look at the following verses. In verse 13, Paul continues, You also, now he's speaking directly to the Ephesian believers, you also were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. You also refers to the Gentiles. There's three designations for the Holy Spirit in these verses. Promise, seal, and guarantee. Why does Paul refer to the promised Holy Spirit? Well, through the Old Testament prophets and Jesus, God promised to send the Holy Spirit to his people. The Holy Spirit is the fulfillment of the promise given to Abraham for the Jews and the Gentiles. Look at what Paul writes in Galatians. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree. So that in Christ Jesus the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles. So that we might receive the promised spirit through faith. The promised spirit was poured out on Pentecost. Listen to Peter's sermon on that day. Acts chapter 2. Being therefore exalted at the right hand of God, and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he has poured out this, the Holy Spirit, that you yourselves are seeing and hearing. So the Holy Spirit was the content of the promise. When the Gentiles received the Holy Spirit in the home of Cornelius, just as the Jewish believers had received the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost, it was proof that they had been accepted as genuine believers, full members of the people of God. That was Peter's argument at the Jerusalem Council in Acts chapter 15. And after there had been much debate, Peter stood up and said to them, Brothers, you know that in the early days God made a choice among you. 
that by my mouth the Gentiles should hear the word of the gospel and believe. And God, who knows the heart, bore witness to them by giving them the Holy Spirit just as he did to us. And he made no distinction between us and them, having cleansed their hearts by faith. So the Gentiles received the promise. Now, what does it mean to be sealed by the Holy Spirit? First, seals were used as a guarantee of ownership. So cattle were branded, as they are to this day. At that time, slaves were also branded by their owners to indicate to whom they belonged. Well, God owns us. (laughs) He has branded us with the Holy Spirit, sealed us by the Holy Spirit. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own, for you were bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. So first, ownership. And then secondly, seals were used to guarantee authenticity. If you wanted to authenticate a document or a statement, you sealed it. The Holy Spirit testifies to the fact that we are genuine believers, authentic followers of Jesus. 1 John chapter 3. And by this we know that he abides in us, by the Spirit whom he has given us. By this we know that we abide in him and he in us, because he has given us of his Spirit. Christians bear the royal seal. We've received the Spirit, the treasure. And then third, Seals communicated protection. And so to protect one's property, to make sure that a product had not been tampered with, the package was sealed. If the seal was broken, then you knew that someone had tampered with the product. The seal of the Holy Spirit guarantees our security in Christ. We are hidden with Christ in God. There's religious practice around the world And often children are dedicated, they are entrusted to gods, to saints, to idols, to images, spirits. This has a tremendous impact on the spiritual development of these children. Children are tattooed, they're given bracelets for spiritual protection, they're dedicated to images to ward off spirits. This happened in Ephesus as well. And so Paul writes in chapter 2, verse 2, you were dead. Following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. What's Paul saying to the Ephesians? He's saying, hey, in Jesus, you're not only set free from the spiritual powers that oppressed you in the past, you've been branded by the Holy Spirit. You're owned by the Father, authenticated by him as his children, as his genuine sons and daughters. Sealed for the final day of redemption. God will protect you through the trials, through the challenges of life until he takes final possession of you on the day of redemption. Ephesians chapter 4 verse 30. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. So Paul's in jail, sentenced to death, but he can explode with praise because he understood that he had been stamped by God. He had received the Holy Spirit. He was owned by God. He knew that he had received the guarantee that he would be redeemed on the final day. His hope was secure. He knew that he would be protected and preserved until he reached his future inheritance in glory. His life was not in the hands of the Romans. So he explodes with praise. 
And the good news is that the Ephesians can live with the same joy, the same assurance, the same hope. And so can we, no matter what our circumstance. Well, when were we sealed? Verse 13, in him. In Christ you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. When you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, the background for that phrase, the word of truth, it comes from the Old Testament. Where God's word spoken and revealed to men and women, it, it's utterly reliable. You cannot separate God's word from who God is. It's trustworthy. It's reliable. It partakes of his character. Colossians chapter 1. We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you. Since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love that you have for all the saints, because of the hope laid up for you in heaven, of this you have heard before in the word of truth, the gospel, which has come to you, as indeed in the whole world it is bearing fruit and increasing, as it also does among you since the day you heard it and understood the grace of God in truth. He talks about the word of truth. He talks about the gospel of your salvation. That phrase, the gospel of your salvation, it explains the word of truth. So the gospel of your salvation, it draws attention to what the Ephesians have received, more specifically their conversion. When did this happen? Well, when you believed in him, when you heard the word of truth. And so at the time of hearing, at the time of believing, at that moment they were sealed. Believing and sealing, these are not separate events. They're not distinct. They are two sides of one event. There's an intimate connection in this text between hearing the word, believing in Jesus, and receiving the Holy Spirit, being sealed by the Spirit, as they are, as there is, rather, an intimate connection in Acts chapter 2. Peter has just preached a sermon to the Jewish audience there in Jerusalem. And we read the following in Acts chapter 2, verse 37. Now, when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. So the Ephesian readers here, when they received this letter, they understood that they had been rescued, that they had been delivered from spiritual death and from God's wrath, saved from bondage to evil powers, to sin in the flesh. When they believed the word of truth, when they believed the gospel, when they entrusted themselves to Jesus as Savior and Lord, at that moment, they were sealed by the Holy Spirit. No question. You know, as followers of Jesus, as evangelicals, we so treasure what Christ accomplished for us on the cross. Him taking our sin upon himself. Jesus paying the price for our redemption once and for all. But do we equally treasure the gift of the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of God that He and the Father sent to abide within us? The second point. God's treasure for us is the Holy Spirit, the guarantee of our inheritance. A woman who grew up in a spiritualist community And then when I talk about a spiritualist community, I'm not talking about a a spiritualist community that would submit itself to the Spirit of God. This was a spiritualist community led by 
a guru where there was an openness to all kinds of spiritual powers. And in this family, in this community, there were many bizarre spiritual experiences. And so this woman that I got to know, she had grown up in this environment. She... (laughs) For her, any time that there was an openness to the spiritual realm, it was a time of fear, of unknowns. With that openness to the spiritual realm came all kinds of personal and family dysfunction. She came to our home Bible study group hungry to know who God actually was. And as we read the gospel, she came to an understanding of who Jesus was. She she opened her heart to receive Jesus as Savior and Lord, and she heard about the Holy Spirit. And I remember her first prayer. Her first prayer was, Holy Spirit, it's so good to meet you, I just didn't know you existed. And sometimes, unfortunately, as evangelicals, we live as if we don't know the Holy Spirit exists. Verse 14. Who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it? To the praise of his glory. What does that word guarantee mean? Well, it's a Hebrew word that found its way into the Greek language through Phoenician traders. It's a commercial word that means pledge or down payment. It's a kind of deposit that ensures that the full amount will be paid for the product. In the New Testament, this word guarantee, it's used only by Paul, and he always uses it in relation to the Holy Spirit. Speaking to Jewish and Gentile believers in Corinth, he writes, For all the promises of God find their yes in him, in Jesus. That is why it is through him that we utter amen to God for his glory. And it is God who establishes us with you in Christ and has anointed us. And who has also put his seal on us and given us his spirit in our hearts as a guarantee. So the Holy Spirit is the deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until we acquire possession of it. Verse 14, or better translated, the NIV, I think, has a better translation until the redemption of those who are God's possession. Until the redemption of those who are God's possession. So just as the Jewish believers, were God's treasured possession. So we as Gentiles are God's treasured possession. This language that was used only for Jews in the Old Testament is now applied to all of God's people. The goal of the sealing with the Holy Spirit is the final redemption of God's treasured people from all nations, languages, and peoples. Amen? Prophet Malachi prophesies, they shall be mine, says the Lord of hosts, in the day when I make up my treasured possession. Nowadays, when you sell a house, the buyer will usually make a down payment, right, to secure the sale. Unfortunately, that down payment is usually refundable if the appraisers think the value of the house is too high, if the mortgage brokers do not give final approval for financing, if the home does not pass inspection. If you, the seller, do not agree what to, f- to fix what is out of order. There are all kinds of cond- conditions. In our case, as believers in Jesus, the Holy Spirit is a non-refundable down payment. The Father's not consulting the ex- appraisers, asking the question, what is this person actually work- worth on the market today? We've been appraised in Jesus. Our sealing by the Holy Spirit is not subject to the evaluation of an inspector. 
We don't need to engage in a number of personal improvement projects in order to be worthy of adoption or to get the seal of approval. The Father's not looking for help to finance our redemption. The price has been paid. God owns the bank. The financing is in place. He owns all things, has all things in his hand. He's completed the deal. So we've been sealed by the Holy Spirit for our final redemption. He's the guarantee, and this should fill us with courage and hope and assurance. Our share in God's heritage, it's as complete as that of the first apostles. The first Jewish believers at Pentecost in Jerusalem, they were given a gift, the gift of the Holy Spirit. They were given a destination, an eternal inheritance. We have received the same gift. We have the same eternal inheritance. That's why Peter writes to those who would now be living in Turkey, 1 Peter chapter 2, but you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Now, why has God chosen us as his people? Well, in verse 12, he speaks to Jewish believers, and he says, so that we might be to the praise of his glory. The Jewish believers were chosen for the praise of his glory. Down in verse 14, he's talking to all believers. And again, he says that we've been chosen to the praise of his glory. What does it mean to be to the praise of his glory? Well, the glory of God is just the revelation of God. It's the disclosure of who God is, a holy, loving, faithful, redeeming, gracious, all-wise God. And as his chosen people, we've been sealed by the Holy Spirit. And so as we live by the Spirit, as we walk in the Spirit, then those who see us are to see the glory of God within us. We are to reflect the image of Jesus. That's why F.F. Bruce writes the following, God is honored, glorified in the presence of human beings and angelic powers when men and women, redeemed from sin, live in accordance with his will and display the family likeness which stamps them as his children. So the sealing of the Spirit, it's not just something that we think about. It's not just something that we kind of accept mentally. It's to be experienced and seen. It's not just something we accept as being theologically true. It's an experience for those of us who receive the Spirit and those we encounter. Is the Holy Spirit something we just think about or a person that we know? As we said earlier, the Holy Spirit witnesses to our salvation, assures us that we're of the Lord, that we're actually followers of Jesus. This is a conscious experience of joy, of hope, of assurance. The sealing of the Holy Spirit isn't just assent to truth, the mental acceptance of Jesus as Lord and Savior, and okay, I guess I'm sealed by the Holy Spirit as well. That's what the Bible says. No, it's a conscious experience. It's real. The sealing of the Spirit makes possible the ongoing infilling of the Spirit that Paul will talk about in Ephesians chapter 5, a conscious experience of this treasure. Our hearts beat for God. What's the evidence of this healing? Well, there's a hunger for God's Word. A hunger. And the Holy Spirit, as we read the Scriptures, reveals truth to us. There's a conviction of sin when we err. There's a desire in our hearts for holy living. We actually, we desire to be like Jesus. We want to be transformed into the image of Christ. There's comfort in the midst of crisis. 
There's power for proclamation of the gospel, faith that people will actually come to faith, faith that God will work miracles as we pray for them. The fruit of the Spirit, it's evident in our lives more and more. There's an activation of the spiritual gifts. There's a deep desire to pray, to intercede for those who don't know Jesus. There's a desire to worship, to praise God. We sing. There's a desire for oneness in the body of Christ. All of this is evidence of the sealing of the Spirit in our lives. That's why Paul writes, 2 Corinthians chapter 3. But when one turns to the Lord, the veil is removed. Now the Lord is the Spirit. And where the Spirit of the Lord is, there's freedom. And we all with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. And then down in chapter 4, verse 5. For what we proclaim is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord, with ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. For God who said, let light shine out of darkness, has shone in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. We have the treasure of the Holy Spirit within us. And so the third point, as God's treasure, we were chosen and sealed for the praise of his glory. God treasures us, his people, and we've been chosen and sealed for the praise of his glory. We cannot exist as followers of Jesus without the Holy Spirit. We cannot live the Christian life without the Holy Spirit. When we're not walking in the Spirit, we're sidetracked, we're distracted by other things. What happens when we don't understand what it means to be chosen from before the foundation of the world? When we don't understand why we were adopted as God's children, to be His sons and daughters. When we don't understand what it means to be redeemed by the blood of Christ. When we don't understand why we were sealed by the Holy Spirit. When we don't understand whose we are, and in light of who He is, who we are. Well, what happens is we try to create our own self, which is an illusion, but we try to write our own story. We try to determine our own path. And we become consumed by things which become much more important than God himself. When we think about inheritance, all we think about is money and property. (laughs) When we think about what we treasure, we think about things like self-advancement and personal success and personal happiness. When we think about what we value, we think about food and status and sports And because we're not made to live for these things, our lives are dominated by fear, by doubt, by anxiety, by stress, by unbelief, by insecurity. What a surprise. If our minds are not on Christ and all that we have received in him, if we don't understand the sealing of the Holy Spirit, the resources of heaven within us, we live for the wrong things and we experience the wrong things. We experience everything but the joy, the peace, the security, and the assurance, and the joy that are ours in Christ by the presence of the Holy Spirit. Too often we live so far below what God has for us, so far removed from the glory that God has us has for us. So this eulogy in verses 3 to 14, it begins and ends with praise to God. Three times Paul says, during this eulogy, to the praise of his glory is grace, to the praise of his glory, to the praise of his glory. You see, in Christ, 
all people, no matter where they come from, all who believe are for the praise of his glory. Everything we have and are in Christ both comes from God and returns to God. Every spiritual blessing, it has its origin and source in God the Father. Every spiritual blessing is mediated through and found in union with Christ. And the Holy Spirit guarantees our inheritance. The God who has called Jews and Gentiles to himself will bring all things together in Christ. And the guarantee of this future reality is the presence of the Holy Spirit in the life of every believer today, now begins in his will and it ends with his glory. For this is where everything begins and ends. We are God's possession, his treasured possession. God loves us. We are God's treasured possession. And he has chosen us for the praise of his glory. We have this treasure. So Lord, may our hearts beat for you. May our hearts sing for you. May we live for your glory. Amen? Amen. Amen. Let's pray. Let's stand to pray. Father, we thank you for your infinite grace. And we confess, Lord, we get, I get sidetracked. I think about the wrong things. I live, about the, live for the wrong things. Oh, God, have mercy on me. Have mercy on all of us. We are your sons and daughters, and it's by your grace, only by your grace. Thank you for redeeming us while we were yet sinners. Thank you for drawing us to yourself. Thank you for sending your Holy Spirit to live within us. Oh God, increase our understanding of what it means to be your children, what it means to walk under your lordship, what it means to walk in the fullness of your Holy Spirit. May we live for your glory this week as we abide in your presence. May we hear your word over our lives and over the lives of those we love, those around us. May we walk with your eyes, with your ears. May we serve you. And now may the grace of the Lord, our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with us all. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. God bless you.